Our uh, final speaker today of the general session is an independent analyst from Stansberry's Investment Advisory. Starting out in this industry with his own consulting firm, he has worked with companies from all over the world and with industry leaders from a wide cross-section of fields, including engineering, telecoms, industrials, technology, and semiconductors. After 25 years in the consulting business and with a wealth of experience and exposure, he joined Stansberry's investment advisory team where he co-edits the alpha and international Stansberry letters and works, of course, directly with Porter Stansberry himself. Here to share with you what they see as the great opportunities, please join me in welcoming Brett Aitken. We spoke, uh, Porter and I spoke about what, what we would cover and uh, we've recently launched a, a publication called Stansbury International. And the idea being is that, that um, it kind of, the idea came up I guess because I've traveled a fair bit around the world and invested in places and done business in places which have been in, in fairly terrible uh, economic conditions but I've always felt that those are some of the best times to invest. So, um, Porter said, look, everybody seems to think that it's always sunshine somewhere in the place in the world. So he said, I think you're probably better to take the angle that it's always cloudy somewhere. And it reminds me of when I arrived in Australia, which was, uh, for those who, I'm sure you don't know me, I'm from New Zealand, but I arrived in Australia in 88. And in the 80s, Australia had gone through a massive boom. The um, credit wasn't actually very cheap, but it was really easy to get. And um, they had a a stack of, of entrepreneurs that had decided to borrow to the hilt. They were taking over companies that were perhaps a little bit conservative and these guys could run the stocks up and then sell off the assets and uh, obviously pocket plenty of money. There were some great, uh, some great stories. Uh, one guy, Alan Bond, you, you may have heard of, he, his, he sort of became famous for winning the, uh, the first sort of Australian challenge of, of the America's Cup uh, back in '83. Bondi, as they called him, he uh, became a media mogul. He was an uh, extraordinary individual and, um, and the press loved him. Um, it didn't end well, but uh, he had, a, had about a decade of, of, of pretty decadent times. But um, during that period, there was, it was quite bizarre to be in Australia because everybody was able to speculate, and, uh, including people that didn't have any money. And I had friends, uh, I was very young, I was probably 22, 23 at the time, didn't have a lot of money, but uh, had enough to, to be able to speculate, buy properties. Um, I knew people that were actually speculating off the plans of properties and they were leveraging leverage. And we're talking about leverage cost back then that was about 18%. Um, so you could just tell things were, were, were just getting out of hand. And fortunately, I'd been, had drummed into me, I think probably from my grandfather, as he always said, never be anyone's protege and also never do what the herd does. And I could always sense that this was always going to end poorly some way. I couldn't tell when. But I ended up sitting on the sidelines. I, I had a, a little bit of fun and a little bit of uh, uh, success in, in some, some private property deals, but, but I realised it was, it was just getting, getting too long in the tooth. And sure enough, by 1990, it all came to a, to a grinding halt. And uh, GDP in Australia had gone something like 5% uh, 
annually to, to negative 1% by, by the middle of 1990. Uh, the then treasurer, Paul Keating, famously came out and said, this is the recession that Australia has to have. And uh, it almost cost him his job, and it almost cost him, he had huge aspirations to become prime minister, which he ultimately did. Um, but it was a, a big call, a controversial call, and uh, as it turns out, it was probably the right call. Because what happened between 1990 and 1991 is they had to do enormous amounts of reforms. They had to uh, cut costs, they had uh, labour reforms, they had to privatise a lot of assets. Um, a lot of the banks, the banks back then were probably left with about 25 billion in debt, which, which I know today sounds minuscule when we talk about $100 billion bailouts. Um, but you remember that Australian economy was probably only about 250 billion back then. So that was a lot of money. Um, and you could see things were starting to turn with the privatisation. Businesses uh, were starting to get uh, more activity. Um, a lot of the banks started to outsource, and a lot of the government started to outsource a lot of their activities. And in fact, we set up a, a debt collection business, of all things, which did um, extremely well out of that, because uh, nowadays they tend to buy the, buy the ledgers and on you know, pennies on the dollar, which is, which is a very profitable business. In those days, we were buying, not buying the debt, but we were taking them on on a contingency basis and uh, charging something like 50% on whatever we collected. So it was a very profitable business. Um, but more importantly, as interest rates started to drop, and um, when we talk about interest rates, we talk about real interest rates, and, and you'll, see, you'll see me cover a little bit on this. Um, interest rates are always a funny thing. It, it, uh, we get asked all the time as analysts as to where's, where's the 10-year 10 10 year yield going, where's the 30-year going, where's the three-month yield going, and um, I've always had the opinion that nobody really knows, and... Um, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if any of you are golfers out there, but uh, Lee Trevino, who played golf with in the era of Jack Nicklaus, and um, he came out famously one day and said, um, he said, if you're in a, ever in a thunderstorm and there's lightning on the, on, the, uh, on, the golf ground, on the golf ground, he said, stand out and rather than go and hide in the buildings or hide under a tree, he said, pull the number one iron out of your bag and hold it above your head because not even God can hit a one iron. <laughs> and it always reminds me because uh, I think it's so true. If you, if you play golf, you know a one iron is almost impossible to hit. It's like trying to hit a boulder with a spade. But um, it's the same with interest rates and, and I don't believe even God can predict where interest rates are going. So all we do is we try and plot real interest rates and by doing that we... We back-tested a number of uh, yield, uh, you know, the 10-year, the 30-year, the 20-year, etc., and we came up with the best, what we decided was the best indicator on picking the macro theme, which was taking the 10-year yield, and we'd basically deduct uh, inflation to get the real interest rates. Um, and this is what happened to decline in Australia in around 92, 93. We started to see real interest rates decline, and that was when we started to see the, the market start to, to, to go from it had been flat for about three years and it eventually started to take off. And in fact, a number of uh, stocks that did very well were the bank stocks, um, stocks that had been traditionally very stodgy, one of the oldest banks, and, and I think it was probably the oldest bank in Australia called Westpac, um, was probably trading around 2 or $3 in 1992, 93. Um, 
you know, five or six years later was trading around $11, $12. So once the, they, the banks started to, to enjoy the favourable conditions of, of the economy, uh, interest rates had come down, banks were starting to lend, things were just basically improving. So I wanted to... Is this the... This is the clicker? I just wanted to show you that uh, that's the Australian... Can everybody see that? That's the Australian stock market, and I've, I've plotted it back to 93, which was pretty much when they came out of the recession. And it, you'll see there on the bottom of the chart we have the blue line, and I've just circled the peaks, and, and you'll see that they tend to coincide, even though it's declining the entire th way through to 2014. You'll see that the peaks in real interest rates tend to coincide with the lows in, in the stock market. Um, and in that first period I mentioned from 93 through to 2000, the stock market went up about 122%. In the case of Westpac that I mentioned earlier, I think that went up uh, 250%. So, and then we had the drop-off, of course, uh, in, in 2000, and then it climbed again up to the 2007 uh, peak that went around the world. Coincidentally, uh, Australia has not had a recession since that 1990 19 period, since the, I think, around 92 the average inflation rate has been about 2.5%. So even in the global financial crisis, Australia managed to stay out of it. Um, I go back to Australia fairly often. I, I live in Barcelona in Spain. But I go to Australia, I, I catch up with my friends, and they're often talking about uh, when you ask how things are, how's business. Um, like in many countries you go to, oh, things are terrible, things are, are this, things are that. And I always laugh because they haven't had a recession. Yes, they, they do get the occasional downturn in the property market or, or whatever it might be, but I always joke with them. I said, your guys' downturns last about as long as an English summer. And that's about three weeks, by the way. Um, so it's just a dynamic economy. Um, it's, 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 it's an, it was a way that, that we've decided to, to build a strategy on Stansbury International with real interest rates, comparing it to lows in the market. And just so that you know, it's not a, a one-off based on the Australian market because I'm from that part of the world. Um, you can see we apply the same thing to the S&P 500 with the real, real interest rates of the, of the lows back in 94, also the lows in 2002, the lows in 2009, and you'll see there the, the real interest rates are still, still going down as the market continues to go. Um, likewise, in the Thailand market, the same thing applies. High real interest rates coincide with lows in the market. And it's important to understand it because sometimes real interest rates might be high, but they may not coincide with a low in the market. So it's not uh, a blanket, um, you need to get the two to coincide. But for us, real interest rates turning down is the catalyst that will make the market uh, take off. Um, Crisis investing is not really anything. We're certainly not the pioneers on it. Many people have done it for, for many years. The, the best, quite frankly, in our, our view, is probably John Templeton, who started back in 1939. He bought... It was a remarkable story. He, he bought, I think the number was 104 stocks of everything that was worth $1 or less. He had no idea what he was buying. He didn't make any valuations on any of the individual securities. He just simply bought the stocks and then waited and he, I think the number was $10,000 he invested, and four years later it was worth $40,000. Um, it was just that he understood 
that things couldn't get any worse back in 39 when there'd been a, a decade of basic recession, um, depression, and uh, there was a world war, world war looming, etc. But he knew things could only get better from where they were. It was like we have a, a I'm paraphrasing here, I think it might have been our colleague Steve Sugarroo that, that uh, invented the phrase, but you only need things to get a little less bad to do very well in the, in the stock market. So that's, the, that's where we're at with the, the crisis investing. Um, but also John Templeton was also one of the pioneers in global investing, and that's really where we're heading with, with Stansbury International. Um, he also, apart from his success in, in, the, in 30, 39, sorry, he invested in Japan in the 60s, he invested in Peru in the 80s, um, and obviously did, did very well out of that. Interestingly enough, one of the individuals here um, in Canada is what I mean by that, uh, and is considered the Warren Buffett of Canada, Prem Watsa. Um, and I understand from readings that he was very close friend with John Templeton, has also applied similar sort of uh, investing policies and strategies around the world. Um, Prem recently invested, or a couple of years ago in the crisis of the, the Euro crisis, and bought into the Bank of Ireland, bought at the absolute bottom at something like about 11 cents, and uh, that had been previously trading around 11 dollars, 11 euros, sorry, and that stock now is, a couple of years later, is now trading around 35 cents. So these guys have, are able to understand that Things can only get so bad before they start getting better, and quite frankly, that's really where the big upside is. Uh, it doesn't mean these economies are, are going exceptionally well, but it gives you a good opportunity to catch enormous upside. Um, so, what we what we're aiming to do with Stansbury International is is pretty much follow those themes of Templeton but we're taking a dual approach. So we've got a top-down approach, so we're, we're identifying the markets on a, on a macro level but by applying the... Uh, we, we do a simple regression, which you can see there we have there's the stock market and we've, we've plotted it on a price-to-sales basis of net, based on next year's estimates. We don't... Uh, we tend to use price-to-sales simply because we think it's an easier metric. Earnings, uh, just because of tax laws and, and different reporting in different countries, it's easier to... To, to use sales. And it, all of the metrics have their flaws when you're looking at an individual securities, but we think on a macro idea you could use price to sales, price to book, it's not really, you'll get a similar result. Um, and then we plot it against real interest rates. So as you see in the green circle, that's really our sweet spot, what we're looking at. You'll see up there Argentina. Um, our view is that, that that's, we're, we're looking at that with caution because we don't believe that the inflation rate is being correctly reported in Argentina. So we, we've kind of, we've, we've left it there because that's the official number. Um, but Greece is up there. Greece is an area that we've been spending a lot of time on in the, in the last 12, 12 months. Brazil's another one that's an interesting candidate. Portugal. And then we have Hungary, which Hungary and, and Poland, which are, are obviously slightly smaller uh, markets. But um, Greece is certainly interesting. And then this is just a table that we, we, we plot for our subscribers, which just gives the, the top 10 of the highest real, real interest rates at that time, and we do this on a monthly basis. We also there map the, the various, you know, so people can see that we do have price-earning ratios, price-to-book, price-to-sales, um, and we put the dividend yield there as well. Like I said, you could really map any of those. Um, 
From there, we then take the bottom-up approach, and that's when we start drilling down into the, what we consider the best equities. Um, and I made this comment here, and, and I think it might have been our initial publication, that whilst a nation might be in terrible condition, economically speaking, it doesn't mean that every company in list, in listed on the stock market is, is going through the same fate, and that their, their only destination in, is bankruptcy. Um, and to give you an idea, there's a company here called Metka. It's a Greek-listed company. They are an engineering uh, firm. They, they, they typically, 90% in fact of their business is energy projects, where they build natural gas power plants around the world. 90% of their business is outside of Greece. 98% um, of their business is financed by international banking. They really have very little exposure to the Greek market, but because of, uh, and as you can see there, I've put the, the sales, and you'll see here the, the earnings, into three-year lots, because in the EPC business, when they get these big multi-million dollar projects, the, the earnings can be a little bit lumpy, so we tend to look at them on, on a longer term scale. But as you can see, the sales, sales and earnings have been going up over the last decade, um, but having said that, the stock has dropped down. Now that stock currently trades for about three, three four times cash. So it's traded in the past for over double that. Um, we think we'll see that happen again. Its peers around the world all trade for at least double that, and that's not even being expensive. We think uh, getting a company like that for an, an EV to a beta, that has, uh, it has about 200 million in cash, so it's got an enterprise value of around 600 million and, and a market cap of around 400. Um, you know, when you think about that uh, in terms of its earnings, you know, you could buy that company and take it private and you would own the whole thing outright within three years. I mean, it's a remarkable deal. In fact, it's got an ownership structure, which I'll explain in a, in a minute, that um, has always surprised me that that hasn't happened. But that, that's a business that's, that was typically still doing very well while Greece was going through its uh, horrendous downside. Um, the top-down, bottom-up approach um, we have a number of subscribers, a number of people, and a number of people always ask me, why don't you just buy the ETF? And you can do that, and you'll do just fine, absolutely fine. Um, and it's sometimes the, the easiest option, depending on where you live. I've actually never had a problem personally investing in stocks in Spain, in Italy, Greece, New Zealand, Australia, Canada. I don't really care where they are. If I like it, I'd buy it. Um, the brokerage facilities these days are, are so so good and so economic that it's very easy to do. Um, I'm always surprised that people have fear of buying a stock in, in Greece or, or, or Spain. I'm not sure what they think is going to happen, but um, believe me, there's just no, there's no reason to have the fear out there. But um, getting back to, the, to why we, we're taking this approach rather than just recommending ETFs, if you look at the Athens Stock Exchange in the last boom period, it made 256%. Metka, the company I just showed you, made 558. So you can literally double the returns if you're a little bit more selective in the stocks. Um, these companies, these markets, by the way, the Athens Stock Exchange has something like 60 stocks listed. So they're not massive markets. You can, even if you just take the top 10 companies and try and learn a little bit of what they do um, to understand where, which of the companies that are influencing the market. Um, I've mentioned company A which I'll cover in a minute. I've put banks one, two, and three there. Just, I've simply put them there because uh, they're three banks that we recently recommended, and you can see there that um, they've also gone up substantially higher than if you had have just bought the index or the ETF for, for the Greek market. 
So even if you just take the average of those five stocks, you would have made 960% versus 256%. I, I, think, um, I think the question answers itself as to why we, we go for the, this approach as opposed to just buying an ETF. Um, so finding a crisis is, is, um, is pretty simple. The, the difficult thing is, is finding one that's just coming out of it and is, is improving. As you can see there, Greece is still 78% down from uh, its 2007 highs. We believe it's, it's seen the worst. I've been visiting, I've made five or six visits in the last 10, 12 months. Um, each time I'm back there, things are a little better. Uh, we get a lot of feedback from our readers and, and people that have even been there and said, I can't believe you're recommending Greece. Have you not seen all the shops are closed and you know, the grass is overgrown in places? And you know, those, are, those are kind of identical, uh, ideal signs that, that we like to hear that people haven't really understood what's going on. We go and we meet with the locals. We met with that company, Metka. We've had several meetings with them. Um, we've met with uh, other chief executives in, in, in the country. We meet with fund managers. We meet with the bankers. And obviously we have follow an awful lot of macro data which, which leads us to believe that we think that the worst is behind them. It's got a lot, long way to go. It's, it's, it's far from rosy, um, no question about it, but, uh, but we believe that's the best time to invest. Um, one thing that you, sh oh, a few points rather that um, when investing in these places, I, I think it's important that you do understand the history of the business, uh, of the market, sorry. Um, know where it's come from, know what its uh, ratios have been, um, understand the political situation. Uh, a lot of uh, Greek, Greece is, and I'm referring to Greece because uh, we're, we're very bullish on Greece at the moment, but in Greece's case, they've had a lot of political uh, drama and it's, and it's far, far from super stable. It's stable, but, but it's, um, it, it's got a long way to go. They've got a lot more reforms to do. Um, but they are privatising, they've made some reforms, they've got a massive privatisation plan going on, and in fact the company that I'm about to tell you about is, is taking a, a, could potentially play a huge role in that privatisation plan. Understand that the, the, the top dozen or top 10 or top 20 companies in the market to see who influences, as I mentioned earlier, to see which companies and bank, whether it's banks, etc., are dominating the market, which ones control, which ones are sending. We've always said uh, focus on the main industries. There's a, there's a, there's a saying on, on Wall Street, buy the banks and the brewers. It just works. It's the, 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 the normally the big cap companies. Um, but you should also diversify your investments so you do get that spread, like I mentioned earlier, um, of you might get some industrial companies. It's like if you invested in Hong Kong, you're probably going to spend most of your time investing in property development type companies. Um, each country will be a little bit different. Um, and then you should also look at your risk control. In these, in these markets, we don't believe uh, everybody has their own ideas of, of how much they invest. We take the view that if you normally apply, say, 5% in a typical investment that you would buy in a stock of Canada, a Canadian stock or, or a US-listed stock, then here you would probably put something like 1% or 2% of your available your, your portfolio towards these these stocks because they are more volatile. Um, you won't always get the timing right. Um, we also recommend that you adjust the trailing stop. We typically use a 25% trailing stop on our flagship newsletter for US listed stocks. Here we, we extend that out to like 35%. We just think you need a little bit more movement. There is volatility and a good example of that was only two weeks ago when uh, 
the bank uh, Spirito Santo in, in Portugal uh, delayed an interest payment. It subsequently had its share suspended. Spain, Greece, Italy, all the markets sold off something like 8 or 9%. The US stock market hardly budged. So you have got much more volatility in these markets. Um, so I think it's worth, worth noting that. So where we are today, and I'll just go through it. This is again the, the we're identifying Greece as, as one of our, our favourite places. We have, by the way, invested in Spain and Italy. Um, those positions are also going well. We think Spain has sort of uh, passed its, its super cheap uh, stage. I live there. I, I know a lot about the, the market there and the, the companies there. There will be more bargains come up there, but for now we're seeing the best opportunities in Greece simply because a lot of the uh, companies and opportunities coming up in the privatisation that they're doing. So, again, this is just the list of the companies that we, uh, sorry, the countries we give our subscribers. That's a, an update of the last 12 months of, as you can see, the market coinciding, the market bottoms coinciding with, with tops in the real interest rates. It might look low on the chart, but remember those real interest rates are still 7.5% there. So, there's still a long way for them to come down. Uh, and we think we'll see that Greece is also already lending money in the market. Not enormous amounts. Obviously they've got bailout issues to deal with, but the banks have been, uh, the National Bank of Greece raised 750 million euros only two weeks ago at something like 4%. So the markets are warming to Greece, investors are returning, they're trickling back, things are getting a little bit better. Um, and this is a, what I was mentioning earlier, is to understand the market, the companies that are there. This is your top 10 measured by market cap. Again, we provide our subscribers with this information. It's simply to, to let readers know as to what are the, the main companies. This table never varies that much. There's, there's one, you know, sometimes down the bottom of the table, one or two companies drop off or they switch around positions. As you can see, the top three banks, uh, the top, the top companies on this table rather are, are banks. Um, Coca-Cola is not the Coca-Cola that you're thinking of here in the US. It's a, it's a distribution uh, business, um, obviously it's related to Coca-Cola. Um, and then you've got the main telecom company, uh, another bank, you've got a gambling company, you've got the energy firm, and you have a retailer and a, and a building business. Um, and this is the company that I wanted to just mention to briefly. Earlier I mentioned Metka, and I said the, the interesting thing about the shareholding there is that um, you, know, you could buy that company outright and literally own the thing within three years based on the, the cash it's generating. That company is 50% owned by this firm called Metellinaus, and Metellinaus is a very interesting company. They, um, they are they're the, the largest independent uh, power generator in, in Greece. They have a... a they're the largest European vertically integrated aluminium business. They mine their own bauxite. I've been, I've visited their plants. Um, I sat with the chairman of the company. He's an incredibly bright guy, um, very, very down to earth and, and very transparent in the information they've got. Their Metka business that they own, that Matilli now owns 50%, is, is booming. The, the national, uh, sorry, the, the natural gas power plant business in the areas that they specifically work, which is typically Eastern Europe, in Northern Africa. Um, they'll go anywhere, but those are typically the areas that, that they go, that business is growing. They've got something like 1.5 billion in backlog. Um, 
So we've got Matelli now is owning 50% of that business. They've got three power plants. They've got an aluminium business. And the power plant business is, is what's appealing to us because these guys were one of the first firms to, uh, to import LNG in, in, into, the, in, into Greece. And um, the part of the privatisation plan is um, the nationally owned company has to, is going through a privatisation phase where it's already offloaded part of the grid. Um, it's already loaded off part of the di gas distribution and it's going through a process which only got approved two weeks ago in Parliament for a, to offload 30% of its power, power generating business. We think these guys have got the ability to, to step up and perhaps if the conditions are appealing to either get involved in that. They also believe they have enormous upside in terms of growing um, you know, uh, organically and um, the stock is trading extremely cheap at around four times cash flow. Um, it's previously traded at around 11. I'm not saying that it's going to bounce to 11, but it's it's somebody. It's probably somewhere in between, and we think there's there's probably a massive upside. That also was the company that was listed that I listed as company A that made over 2,000 percent in the last boom. This is a huge, huge company, huge opportunity. It's one of my favourite stocks in, in Greece right now. It's got a tremendous tremendous management team. Uh, they've got They've got cash. They've, it's just got a superb business model. It's one that I think you should consider. And that's Stansbury International. Thank you for your time.